This is Customer Experience Leaders, a podcast produced by Rated. It's a show where we reveal the secrets of how great brands delight their customers. The Nordstrom's believe that if you've got something in your closet that you don't like, bring it back. And you could bring it back in, in a year or two years. Some people completely abuse it with it. They'll bring back something from 10 years ago. And so, you know, it didn't quite fit. That's the voice of Robert Spector. He is the author of a new book, The Nordstrom Way to Customer Experience Excellence. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey. Hi there, I'm Michael Momsen. So today we're speaking to the author of a book about how Nordstrom produces amazing customer experiences. We're very much looking forward to sharing this one with you. We have heard so much about the Nordstrom success story. And actually, every time that I've been in Seattle, I really love visiting their stores. They really do deliver on the brand that they're so well known for around their service. So we wanted to understand a little bit more about, you know, how has this retailer thrived for 100 years plus? You know, they're now at 30% of their sales are online. How do they do this? Even if you're not a retailer, you're absolutely going to love the tips here. Absolutely, Michael. So the two big topics we're focusing on today are Nordstrom's relentless customer focus and how they actually do that. And secondly, what's really unique about their company culture that has allowed them to excel at this? So we started off by asking Robert, why do people love shopping at Nordstrom? It's very simple. People love to shop at Nordstrom because Nordstrom treats you royally and wants the experience to be about you and not about the salesperson. It's all about getting you the item that you want today and making it an enjoyable experience. So I think that's really interesting, um, Robert. And a lot of brands are doing fundamentally that. They're trying to make the customer the core focus. But a lot of brands still fall short. So it's easy to say those words, but what is Nordstrom doing differently to everybody else to achieve that? Well, as you said, a lot of brands talk about putting the customer first. But most of the time, that's just, that's just corporate speak. They don't truly believe it. At Nordstrom, customer service is an act of faith. And so any initiative that they have, they, they reverse engineer it. They start out with how does this impact the customer? And then how can we deliver what the customer is looking for? To take a very simple example, convenience. Convenience seems to be the coin of, of the realm these days. So Nordstrom actually has convenience committees and they get feedback from customers. So how can we make this whole transaction as easy and as painless and as seamless as possible? And one of the mantras at Nordstrom is if it's not helping the customer, it's not customer service. And that's an article of faith. It isn't just corporate BS. So they actually do what they say, which is a good starting point, but um, but is actually sometimes a little bit. It's almost revolutionary. <laughs> yeah, and I was going to say, like at a at a practical level, like how do you see this coming to life? Because it's very easy to put in some policies or some procedures that that make sense, um, and you know certain things need to have policies and procedures, and then all of a sudden they get in the way of delivering great experiences. How is it that Nordstrom's been able to leap that hurdle? Well, it, it starts with the people who you hire. Uh, Nordstrom is not necessarily looking for people with previous retail experience. They're looking for people who share a set of core values. And in my most recent book, 
which is the Nordstrom way to customer experience excellence. It's all about building a values-driven culture. So Nordstrom is not looking for people to convince to share their core values. It's to hire people who already share their core values. So in the interview process, you might get a question like, what's the best customer service experience you've ever had as a customer? And then tell me the best customer service you've given to another customer. So you start to get a feel for what people believe in and stand for. And that's what Nordstrom is looking for. Do they get the right people every time? No, they make mistakes just like everybody else does. But you know, they have a higher batting average than most retailers. So, Robert, you mentioned your book there, and I wanted to touch on this. In the writing of the book, you spoke to a range of Nordstrom executives, and over 35 years, I think it was three generations of Nordstroms, you know, the family that operates the business. What I'm interested in is, what was unexpected about that process? What did you learn from speaking to all of these people, and particularly the three generations of Nordstroms, that kind of uh, surprised you about how they operate? Well, the surprising thing is the consistency of purpose. I spoke earlier about values. The values have not changed. The strategies change. The channels change. Everything else in business changes, but it's the values that remain constant. Now, Nordstrom has been a publicly traded company since 1971, but the Nordstrom family, it's the various generations now in the fourth generation, run the company. And the Nordstrom family owns about 30% of the stock, but they have a board of directors uh, that, that they have to answer to. But it's the consistency of purpose of taking care of the, of the customer and also the idea that you always must adapt and innovate in order to stay competitive. Right. And so how does that manifest? What's an example of how that purpose is manifesting throughout the business? So Nordstrom introduced its website in 1998, and they uh, made it a part of the whole company. And they've been looking ever since to figure out how do we leverage brick and mortar with online retail. And I can give you many examples of how they're doing that now. In fact, online retail represents 30% of Nordstrom's business now. Yeah, it's fantastic. So it's always asking, and any company, whether you're in retail, whatever business they're in, they always have to ask, what's next? What are we doing that the competition is doing or the competition hasn't even thought of yet? Because if you're not adapting, if you're not changing, you're standing still and you're falling behind. Yeah, Robert, we absolutely want to go deep on company culture and, you know, just how that sort of comes about at Nordstrom, but sort of quite interested in just some of the practical things that maybe sit more in policy, which were absolutely driven by the people and the culture uh, to write those policies. But I understand they have a particular unique view on returns policies, as an example. You know, love to get, um, you know, any stories that come to mind and, and sort of any other policies that sort of stand out where this stuff really comes to life. Well, the Nordstrom's believe that if you've got something in your closet that you don't like, and every day that you go into your closet to pick out your, your clothes and you see that shirt or that jacket that you really were sorry that you bought and you can't do anything about it, and where did I buy it? I bought it at Nordstrom. So that's kind of a, a reminder. It's kind of a negative reminder. So rather than have you have that item in your closet, bring it back. 
and it, you could bring it back in in a year or 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 or, or two years. Two, two years later, <laughs> wow. Some people completely abuse it where they'll bring back something from 10 years ago. <laughs> and so, you know, it didn't quite fit. So, uh, you know, or I, or I gained weight or, or whatever. But, and, and there are some exceptions to the rule, such as in cosmetics. If you've already used something, then you really... Or underwear or something, right? Like, you, you have, yeah. Yeah, within reason. But, but for the most part, it's an unconditional return policy. That's crazy. Nobody does that. Like returns are a, a huge, huge fighting moment for most customer interactions. I know if I buy something and not even that I just don't like it, like it's actually faulty. There's a problem, it's broken. And I try and take it back to get a replacement. I'm not even looking for a refund. Even that process is like, you know, my stomach gets in knots and I've basically, as Gene Bliss describes it, it's a put up your dukes moment. You, you go in expecting a fight. I just want to take a moment there and go, that's like an amazing policy and very uncommon in the retail industry. I think most people would think, well, surely this thing's going to get abused and surely this is actually not a profitable way to run a business. And over time, it's actually, you know, really going to hurt us. Now, clearly, that can't be the case because Nordstrom's actually one of the the few retailers that are growing and super successful and, and et cetera, et cetera. So I understand the culture allows for such a policy to get invented and implemented. And maybe it was an act of faith and there wasn't much ROI behind it, but sort of interested in the pushback of this is impossible. This would, you know, financially bleed us if we tried to do something similar. Well, all Nordstrom salespeople are on commission. They are employees, so they get an hourly wage but where they make their money is on commission. So they're empowered to create their own clientele, to be a franchise within a franchise. If I take a long-term view that I'm going to be working here for a while and you come into the store and you want to buy a suit and I'm not going to put you in the most expensive suit I can find and maybe when you get home or your significant other says, what were you thinking of when you bought that thing? You look terrible in it. So Nordstrom will let you bring it back. So if I'm a good salesperson, I want to develop a relationship with you. I'm not going to sell you something you're going to return because I'm not going to get that commission anyway. I want you to trust me that I'm going to give you what is going to look good for you. And then we're going to develop a relationship. And over time, when you want to buy clothes, you're going to come to me because you trust me. So it's taking that long-term view. It's developing trust. It's creating a relationship. Right. So it's effectively moving from transactions to true meaningful relationships uh, and and long-term view, in which case some of these returns will actually just come out in the wash and will actually net positive because they're betting on the long-term relationship. Right. And I should add, you know, you said, well, some people abuse it. Sure. There are people who are going to abuse it. That's just human nature. But Nordstrom obviously has a record of everyone's purchases. And if somebody is a serial, S-E-R-I-A-L, returner, Nordstrom is perfectly fine saying, you know, I don't think this relationship is really working out. Yeah, nice. So maybe you you should take your business somewhere else. You know, people often ask me when I speak, is the customer always right? My answer is when I'm the customer, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, other people, uh, you know, I'm not sure. But yeah, so you're, it's okay to fire a customer. It's okay to break up with a customer because they're not making you any money anyway. 
maybe we should you know double click on this uh, sales people working on commission basis and and there for the long term etc because in, in some ways what they've effectively done is taken the 1940s local store <laughs> type uh, loyalty and relationship and personalized service and really doing that at scale and actually it's not just the technology that does that it's actually having people bought in culturally on board and there for the long term so you can actually establish that type of relationship do you mind sharing maybe a little bit more around if i go get a job at nordstrom how do they think about it how does the person think about it you know they're making a a 10-year bet uh, of their career here it'd be good to explore that one a little bit there are a lot of people who make it a career who are there for you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, because the company treats them well. You know, they always get very high marks. You know, in Fortune magazine in the US, they have the 100 best companies to work for in America. And they've been doing it for the last 20 years. And Nordstrom has been on that list for the past 20 plus years. The only companies that are older than Nordstrom that are on that list are American Express and Goldman Sachs. So they're in pretty good company. And the whole idea, it, it, part of the, one of the values that I talk about in the, my most recent book is loyalty. And as you talked about my interviewing three generations of Nordstrom, so back in the early 90s, I interviewed the last surviving member of the second generation who ran the company from the late 1920s to the 1960s, Elmer Nordstrom. And he said, loyalty is, should be earned, not expected from employees. You know, you don't just hire somebody who's, okay, now, now I want you to be loyal to me. No, I have to show you that I want to earn your loyalty. That's a very old-fashioned way of, of looking at it. So, Robert, welcome to the Quickfire Round, our Wham Bam session where we ask you rapid-fire questions and you've got 10 seconds to answer. Are you ready? I'm ready. The first question is, what brand do you look to as an example of great customer experience? Well, the obvious answer is Nordstrom, uh, and, 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 I, and I would say right after that, Amazon. What job did you learn the most in? Uh, working in my father's butcher shop when I was a uh, young man, because I learned that every customer is precious, especially when you have a small business. Robert, what skill are you terrible at? Just about everything, other other than uh, writing. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> right, right, right. Other than, 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 than writing and speaking. I used to be a one-trick pony, now I'm a two-trick pony. But uh, <laughs> you're not going to call me to cook a meal or fix your car. What job did you enjoy the most? Well, I, I enjoy being a, a, a freelance uh, writer because every day is different and you have to reinvent the wheel every day. What's the best advice you've ever received? My mother said, don't be afraid to ask. The worst they could say is no. And Robert, what is your guilty pleasure? <laughs> well, if I'm, if I, if I'm too, too guilty, I can't, um, uh, I can't tell you. Um, well, let's see. What's, what's, what's a good uh, G-rated uh, guilty pleasure? And, uh, uh, I can give you like, my guilty pleasure is watching silent movies uh, with my clothes on. <laughs> last, last little bit of uh, important information there. So this might be a good point to, to pivot towards the way Nordstrom thinks about its corporate hierarchy. They've got, you know, quite a unique organizational chart. It's kind of set up as an inverted pyramid. Could you tell us a little bit about that and what are the results and impacts of thinking about the corporate structure in that manner? 
So as you mentioned, it is an inverted pyramid. Back in the early 70s, when the Nordstrom family decided to take the company public, stock analysts asked, well, how, how is the company structured? So they thought about it and they said, well, take a pyramid and put it on, a, you know, on its head. So at the top of the pyramid, the broadest part of the pyramid, the upside down pyramid, the inverted pyramid, are the customers. They're the most important people. Then below them are the sales and support people because they're the ones who are closest to the customer. And as you go down the pyramid, you have managers and executives all the way down to the lowly board of directors. And that's a literal and a symbolic way of how they run their business. So as a person is promoted at Nordstrom to go from uh, an assistant buyer to a buyer to a store manager, they say, I'm moving down the pyramid. In corporate life, you think about, I'm moving up. Right? <laughs> the whole idea is to move up. But in Norton, they say, I'm moving down. But uh, so you know, w- one of the other values that we, my co-author, Brianne Ries, and I write about in our book is humility. And, you know, as Bruce Nordstrom, who is the father of the three guys running it now, Nordstrom was originally a shoe store for the first 65 years of its existence. And Bruce, who's now in his mid-80s, said, we were raised literally on our hands and knees, taking care of the customer. And he said, that's a literal and a symbolic way of how we run our business. I mean, literally on their hands and knees. If you're a manager, you want to take care of, of the people who are working in your department, uh, a good manager will say, that department not working for me. I'm working for them. So I can make, help them make, uh, do well on their, their job. Because if they do well, then I do well. Yeah, 100%. What I'm really looking to understand is like the culture at Nordstrom is really quite unique. You know, this inverted pyramid, the fact of like customer service. And I emphasize the word service because you are servicing the customer. You talked about being on, on your hands and knees. And I, I think that's a really, really interesting way of like actually doing that rather than just this corporate vernacular that everyone talks about. Oh, yeah, we do customer service. There's a customer service department. But actually having systems and cultures and things set up like the vernacular of, you know, moving down the pyramid, what are the impacts to the customer, to the market, to staff, to management, to the community of operating in that manner? Well, it starts out that the people in charge, whether it's the chairman of the board or any other employee doing their part and not thinking that doing that particular thing is beneath me. I'm much more important than that. So I'll tell you one story about Bruce Nordstrom. So I was at a party in Seattle, and you can imagine people tell me their Nordstrom stories. They're good stories and they're bad stories. And this woman at a party told me she had been working She'd worked at Nordstrom about 20 years ago in one of the women's departments in the downtown flagship store in Seattle. And Bruce Nordstrom, the chairman, CEO, was walking through the the department and noticed that somebody had left a can of soda pop on one of the counters. So Bruce saw the soda pop can, picked it up, put it in a wastebasket, and continued on his way. Did not say a word to anyone. He didn't say, I mean, you can imagine what he could He could have said, you know, why is this here and who's responsible, et cetera, et cetera. He eloquently did it himself. And this woman said to me, it's 20 years ago, I've never forgotten that, that if the chairman of the board is not above doing a little housekeeping, then neither am I. That's a perfect example of that. And, you know, and the Nordstroms actually answer their own telephone. So one brief story about Blake Nordstrom, one of Bruce's sons, 
a, uh, an, an older woman in her 80s, a longtime customer, was frustrated with the new Nordstrom credit card and called up Nordstrom and said, I want to speak to customer service. And they put her through to Blake Nordstrom. He answers the phone. He said, Blake Nordstrom. The woman said, is this really Blake Nordstrom? He said, yeah. She said, why did you answer the phone? He said, well, I'm sitting in my office and the phone rang. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought I would pick it up. And he did. And, and he, he, he talked to her. He ended up, uh, she had an issue with the new credit card and he invited her to lunch. And, you know, again, simple stuff, answering the phone, picking up a can of soda pop. That's what makes, I mean, I've been, as I said before, I've been writing and studying and interviewing people in this, country, this company for 35 years. I get bored easily, but it's endlessly fascinating because they keep on changing and they have this core belief of values. And that's what makes them still competitive and, and kicking butt after 117 years. That's fantastic. It reminds me of the, the Walt Disney story of picking up the trash right. as he walks around Disneyland. Um, there's this quote talking about Bruce Nordstrom, which is, we can hire nice people and teach them to sell, but we can't hire salespeople and teach them to be nice. Uh, what, what do you think Bruce meant by that? Right. And the, and the, the corollary of that is hire the smile, train the skill. It's very simple. There are some people who are nice and there are some people who are not that nice. And you, you can't teach somebody to be nice. You can teach them to sell. You can teach them these are the, uh, the things that you need to know about this particular product. It, you know, this is how it's constructed. This is the material, et cetera, et cetera. But you can't teach somebody to want to serve a customer and to view service as a noble thing, not as a subservient thing. So they're not necessarily looking for people who have previous retail experience because they've already learned how to say no to the customers. So unless you're a brain surgeon or a rocket scientist or you know, some, somewhere where you need particular training, technical training in, in a field, that's paramount. But if you're doing something like sales or a, a, you know, restaurant work or you know, things that yeah, service service centric. Yeah, right. Yeah, service. Yeah, you're you're looking for empathetic, friendly people. This is not a big mystery. But, you know, when you go into a restaurant, you want you want the server to smile at you, even if even if they even if it's a fake smile, at least it's a smile. <laughs> at least they're putting some effort in. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a really fascinating discussion. Well, thank you, gentlemen. It was uh, a whole lot of fun, and I uh, hope to visit down under one of these days awesome welcome anytime well michael what a great interview with robert another fantastic show indeed we got to kind of go under the surface of uh how nordstrom this iconic brand is delivering amazing customer experiences for you know over 100 years and what i think was really interesting is you know robert has done a lot of research and spoken to three generations of the family who runs his business too yeah that's incredible so let's uh run through our debrief which is where we sum up the key takeaways from this discussion would you like to kick us off it's funny because a lot of this were the fundamentals that we know but they've just been applied here so well and they've been applied in a really timeless way and so for me the big thing that sort of hit me between the eyes, which is this concept of starting with a customer, 
which uh, I love doing. You know, we try to do uh, at my company, Rate It, and you know, Amazon talks about it a lot as well. But just starting with the customer and what what what's the experience that they want, what is it that they're trying to achieve, and then work backwards from there, and then having the policies and the people to be able to like implement that. So sort of starting with the customer and working backwards and. If I may add a second one, so rather than going there with the usual one too, I'm going to add my second one because you can't actually practically bring this to life unless you've got the people making this happen, whether it's designing the policies and the procedures or actually implementing it. And so therefore, the people ultimately is the culture. And so it's like this culture is the glue that sort of brings the different areas together. If you sort of think of that returns policy, there would have been so many different people across the organization that would need to have gotten on board with that and bought in, if you will. So people in ops, like people in finance, people in brand, there would have been a whole bunch of people that would have had to have gotten bought into that. And the only way to do that, I mean, you can kind of strong arm it if you're really senior, but ultimately, even that uh, has its limits actually, is you're going to need the right culture, to, which is the glue that brings people together. And then culture is then the oil that ensures that this uh, machinery goes together. So for me, the, the big two that stood out was, you know, one, uh, thinking about and designing, starting from the customer and working backwards. And then to be able to do that, you're going to need the right culture, everyone believing the same thing and really wanting to celebrate great customer experiences and, and that loyalty, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So therefore, culture becomes the glue and the oil. Yeah, 100%. So those were your two big takeaways. I want to tell you about my two big takeaways now. Yes, hit me. I'm listening. <laughs> the first of which was, I thought it was really interesting how Nordstrom just has this like really laser focus on on a service mindset. And not just from an executional point of view, like, you know, they're always about serving the customer and making things better, but from an organizational structure point of view, you know, the, the whole thing of the inverse pyramid and when you get promoted, you're moving down the pyramid. Uh, and so the most important people are the customers and then the next most are the people who interact with the customers. But I think the other really interesting thing was when Robert said that Nordstrom salespeople still work for commissions. And so that's a really unique way of making your staff care about the interactions that they have with customers. And I think, Michael, you said it in the moment. It's like kind of throwing back to that 50s really personal service uh, mindset of, of when you're dealing directly with the person. And so it's almost giving staff some level of ownership over their small subset of customers that they deal with. So I thought that was really interesting. And the funny thing was, it actually reminded me of when Robert was talking about um, the job he learned the most in, which was the, you know, the butcher store with his dad. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> yes. he, he mentioned this, uh, th- th- this phrase there, and this is my second takeaway. He said that it made me understand that every customer is precious. I love that quote. It's great. And it was kind of a throwaway line in the moment, but like... The word precious is actually a great word if we just kind of focus on that for a quick second because it signifies that there is some level of value to a customer that we sometimes gloss over. It's it's sometimes easy, you know, when we're looking at transactions and things like that and lots of customers coming through the door that you kind of just look at it as a big batch of people, but every single person is unique and, and we need to really remember and understand that. All right, so let's sum up the takeaways. Michael, what were your two? Yeah, so the first one is start with the customer and work backwards. And two, culture is the glue and the oil. Love it. And my takeaways, uh, number three is have a laser focus on a service mindset. And number four, that every customer is precious. Great. And that's a wrap. And just as a reminder, we love hearing from you. We regularly get people reaching out to us on LinkedIn and uh, sending some short notes about how different episodes have made an impact on them as well as uh, other ideas. We would love to hear from you. Just follow me, uh, add me on LinkedIn, Michael Momsen. And you can do the same with me. I'm Adam Jaffrey. 
We'll speak to you next time. Fantastic. See ya. Thanks for listening. Customer Experience Leaders is produced by Rateit. Rateit helps you understand what your customers are thinking in order to improve your execution, empower your staff and deliver an awesome customer experience every single time. So say hello to a modern customer feedback platform that you and your customers will love to use. To find out more, head to rateitapp.com. That's R-A-T-E-I-T-A-P-P.com. This show is made in partnership with Wavelength Creative. This episode was produced by me and Christopher Lawson, who also edited and mixed the show. Our theme music is by Icolix, Peter Cooley and The Shrugs. And just one final thing before we sign off, this episode came as a result of a listener request. So if you have a particular brand that you'd like us to feature or a particular person you'd like us to speak to, please add myself or Michael on LinkedIn and send us a note. Until next time, thanks for listening. We'll speak to you soon.